Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. Be happy with where you are at the moment, but always be hungry with the future. And what I mean by that is I think so many times we think about, oh, if I could just get to blah. Remember, the moment you're in now, there's something to learn from that and there's something to gain from that. I failed a lot of things, but I use a skill from every single one of those things I've failed at. So be looking to the future, but also be willing to work in the present you're in now. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 98. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jeremy Slate. Jeremy is the founder of the Create Your Own Life podcast, which studies the highest performers in the world. He was ranked number one in iTunes New and number 78 in the iTunes Top 100. Jeremy's podcast was named the number one to listen to by Inc. Magazine in 2019, as well as being named a top influencer by Forbes. After his success in podcasting, Jeremy and his wife, Brielle, founded Command Your Brand to help entrepreneurs get their message out by appearing as guests on podcasts. Jeremy, I'm so glad that you're on the show today. Hey, man, from from one Jersey guy to another, you know, thanks for having me today, man. There you go. No, it's one pleasure. And from one podcaster to another. And what's really neat is I literally released content today uh, from a wonderful um, emerging influencer out in England. Her name is Kat Philp, and she also uh, talked a lot about... um, branding, authenticity, getting your brand out there, how to develop it. So uh, I guess we're in the zone as we're talking about important topics like this. And I think it's more important than ever. So um, I want to jump into a number of the things that I just sort of talked about in, um, you know, in the bio. And, uh, you know, I know that you work with high performers um, and that's the group that you studied. It kind of reminds me of Brennan Bouchard and some others that are really interested in highest performers, what they do, and what are their, you know, their unique qualities, talents, et cetera. So I'm curious to know what your definition is of a high performer, because, you know, you ask 20 people, you make get 20 different answers. And what would you say, Jeremy, are the qualities, the attributes that you've noticed the most as you've started to talk with all of them that the rest of us could be learning from and say, hey, I'd love to, you know, I've got um, Tim Ferriss's, uh, uh, is it, what's the name of it? Tribe tools, of Mentors? Tools of Titans. Uh, One tools of Titans. Titans. Yeah, I got yep. both of them, right? And so you read these little bios and their feedback and everything else. You say, oh, I could use that. And you sort of cherry pick because you're, you're you and I'm me and everybody's different. But there's enough, if there's enough wisdom out there, you start to say, what could I borrow? So again, what are high performers? What are their attributes? Let's talk. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think first and foremost, um, I think one of the big things, Naftali, is high performers they don't have this preconceived notion that they're the best. And I think that's really important. The reason being, once you kind of think you've reached the pinnacle is the day you stop trying. So I think number one, that's the most important thing is realizing that like being the best is always continuing to grow and always continuing to seek and, and kind of be continuing to, to look for something. So I think that in itself is, is really, really important. So, so when I think of somebody that's a high performer, I think of somebody that you know wants to be the best at what they do. They have a continuing drive to do that. But I think at the same time, one of the things that I've learned from more of the conversations I've had is 
the importance of having, you know, a significant space for family in other parts of your life. Because I think as well, sometimes people could be so into high performing that they forget why they're performing so high, right? It becomes more of a drug or more of a something they're chasing. So to me, high performance is about, you know, seeking to be the best, but at the same time, remembering the things that matter. I think that's really, really important. And when I take a look at what those traits in people are, it's, it's interesting because um, we have a, a book coming out in June called Unremarkable to Extraordinary. And, and that's really been the things I've taken a look at is the, the traits of high performers and what makes them what they are. And there's so many that like, and we're closing in on a, a thousand conversations I've had. There's so many of them that say very similar things and operate in very similar late ways. Like when I, when I look at it, high performers don't shy away from adversity. They look at it as an opportunity to grow and they look at some look at it as something that's more of a like a transformational process, like something they need to go through. Right. The way the way out is the way through, you know, kind of not just avoiding that thing, but going through that thing to become who you want to become. I think another trait about them is they're not affected by the opinions of others. And it's easy to say that, but I think it's a place you have to get to. For me, being younger. I was really affected by the opinions of others. But once you realize you get to a point where you're kind of living your life for other people, that can be really difficult to achieve anything. So, you know, really understanding the opinions of others are not going to pay your bills. They're, they're not going to achieve your goals. You, you have to really be kind of really keeping your mind grounded in where you're going. I think that's really vital. Another trait that I look at that makes them, you know, very high performing is this this ability to always outwork somebody, like always be willing to work harder, always be willing to uh, continually push through something. And because I think so many times, a lot of people see like an internet marketing message or the latest self-help, whatever it is, and they think that they just gotta do this one thing and their life has gotta change. When really it's about the hard work and the consistency that you put in over years many times to reach your goals. So when I look at high performers, you know, those are really the traits I see. And it's really the mindset I see around it is they're, they're understanding, you know, they're on a journey to become the best. And they're always continually going at that. You look at somebody like Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady was going to retire this year. But he came back another year and said, you know what? There's more things for me to learn. There's more things for me to work on. There's more things for me to achieve. And I think once you realize that that is over for you, that's when you kind of move into a new phase or a new thing or whatever it may be. And, and, and that's what's really interesting about high performance. Interesting. So the one thing I did not hear, I mean, there's a lot that I did hear, and yeah. uh, I would love to be able to unpack some of that. And probably, honestly, that answer alone could give us enough fodder to, to finish our conversation and then some. So I'm really not worried that there will be uh, any, any lack of, quote, quality content in our conversation. But what I didn't hear is who these high performers actually are. And you mentioned Tom Brady. I'm not looking for individual names, but yeah. what is your actual definition? Who, you know, what, what kind of person, like, for example, you're scrolling on LinkedIn or whatever your social media feed um, and, uh, and, and, and you're looking, who are the people who grab your attention? Not, not so much what are they doing behind the scenes, but what are they doing? What are the milestones that they've achieved? What are the things that they've done um, that make you feel this is a guy, this is a woman I need to get on my podcast because they fit that description? How, what are your metrics? Well, they're statistically motivated and they're not, it, they're not ordinary, right? Because I think when you look at it, we're all essentially born unremarkable as the things that we do that make us extraordinary, that make us incredible. So to me, there's some sort of unique talent, unique ability, unique achievement 
like, um, you know, I, I interviewed a four time Indy 500 champion. Okay. It's, it's really cool what you do to win it once, but like four times, I want to know what it takes to do that. Like that's, that's pretty incredible. Like what kind of concentration, what kind of planning, what kind of preparation. So to me, it's somebody has a really unique ability, really unique achievement, or you really unique level of experience. Um, like I got to interview, uh, David Petraeus, who's, uh, four-star general and, and ran CENTCOM and he's a former CIA director. Like those are a lot of things I want to know what goes into those thought process. What is somebody weighing in those daily things? Um, you know, and there's things you can't get from just some regular old sales guy that may have achieved some great things in his, in his life. But to me, I want to see people that have achieved something unique and at a high level. And that I feel like there's knowledge that you can unpack and kind of prepare in a way for a lot of other people to see and understand in, in their lives. I'm going to ask a selfish question, but it really is a broader yeah. question as well. So I'm a podcaster amongst other things that I do. Of course, I'm a coach and I work with leaders and whatnot. Um, but as a podcaster, I want the very best guests. In fact, I'm, as you, as you heard in the intro, I'm, I'm almost up to, to episode 100. And so I'm kind of thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, the next iteration, so to speak of guests. And, sure. um, and so I'm curious but at the same time, I'm asking this for everybody who wants to expand their network and fill their network with really high quality people who, on the other side of things, are often, I'm sure, you know, constantly peppered with requests for connections, be on podcasts, all this kind of thing. So how do you get, what, are, what would be some of your secrets, uh, Jeremy, to get into conversations, to earn the trust with? Uh, or of, you know, these people that you want to be talking to, because you might say, wow, isn't it great? Wouldn't it be wonderful? I can get Tom Brady to talk to me about, you know, his decision and his career and all that good stuff. But, yeah. you know, maybe to Tom Brady, you're a nobody, or I'm, I'm certainly would be. And so, so what is your process to expand your network in a way that feels authentic and not just self self driven and salesy? Well, it's changed over the years. I will say that because here's the thing is when I started out, I had nothing. I had no following. I had no podcast. I had no nothing. So it was just the amount of messages I could get out there to kind of make an impact. And the thing that you find as you start to get people that are of significance that say yes, it becomes easier to talk about the conversations you've had with them when you approach other people because it shows them, number one, your competence as an interviewer. Number two, it shows them social proof of what you've done. And then, you know, number three, it sees, shows them some of the subjects you talk about, which is important. And because I find too often people approach with a lot of copy and paste messages. So one of the things that, that I actually do, and surprisingly, the best tool I have for reaching guests is Twitter direct messages. It may sound weird. It may, it may seem like everybody forgets about Twitter, but I've used it for direct messages for years to get in conversations with people I really want to interview. And when I approach... I usually talk about, you know, the reason I do the show, you know, we're really trying to help people become the best at what they do and, you know, kind of break out of the ordinary. I also talk about a few of the people we've interviewed that they may recognize, right? They may not recognize everybody I've interviewed, but there may be a few specific people that I think to them would kind of trigger them to say, oh, this may be for me. And then I talk about the conversation I want to have with them specifically, because you got to think they get so many pitches that you have to come to them with the conversation that you specifically want to have with them. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, what I mentioned Elio Castroneves a while ago, and when he won his third Indy 500, um, he was in kind of the hardest single time of a human being's life. He had had this whole tax problem with the IRS and they were attacking him. 
and he was trying to figure this whole thing out. And in the end, he was actually vindicated, and it showed that like they were trying to charge him for things he actually didn't know. But he won his third Indy 500 with all of that hanging above him. And I'm like, man, I really want to know like what you were going through and how you were able to put all that aside and win a race. He said yes to that. So you, it, to me, it's, it's being very thoughtful about why I'm approaching somebody and the conversation I want to have with them. Interesting. I love that, actually, because, I mean, the idea of, of DMing on Twitter is actually a new one for me. I use I use messaging. People forget about it, man. I use messaging on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I get people's emails, so I'm able to pitch them that way as well. But it sounds like that could be very useful, especially because there are a lot of people who are very active and very successful on Twitter with a huge following that on other platforms, you know, they may not give that much attention to. And mm-hmm. so it really isn't the place to connect with them. So I, I love yeah. that idea. And I kind of want to stay in that space. So a little bit of can a Can I add side. one more? Can I add one more thing to that too? Absolutely. Your audience, Go ahead, may, Jeremy. your audience may find this useful. Like as well, like one of the things that I've done really well is also building relationships with publicists at big PR houses um, and, and really building relationships with them and treating their clients really well. And it gets me a lot of guests I don't pitch for. Like I was working with an agency that, um, you know, I'd taken a few of their guests over the years and they said, hey, Tim Story is actually going to be doing a media tour soon. Would you like to interview Tim? So I get a lot of opportunities like that that I'm not reaching out for because I've done a really good job at building relationships with publicists at large PR houses. Excellent. So let's actually stay there for just a moment before I get to my yeah. other question. Because um, relationships is an interesting thing. You know, it's a soft skill. Uh, it's not necessarily yes. the kind of thing that most people learn about, at least at least in formal education. And we talk a lot on this show since I'm a former I'm a former uh, educator and school leader. I still do a lot of coaching and whatnot for nonprofits and schools in particular. Um, so I'm very sensitive to the idea of what we teach, um, what goes into a degree, the value of a degree or lack thereof sometimes. Um, but one of the things that I think is very very clear that we must do a better job in. Um, both in terms of schooling as well as community at large, is teaching soft skills, helping people understand relationships and things like that. So what are some of your, I guess you would say, tips? Um, I don't want to say your secret sauce necessarily, but how do you go through that process of nurturing, building relationships with the right people, whether it's for selfish purposes, which is okay to say, you know, obviously we, we sometimes build relationships so that we can do other things and serve in a better way over time. And maybe just purely out of the goodness of your heart that help people keep you top of mind and want you Mm -hmm. to be the go-to, so to speak, when they have opportunities for you. Well, I I think this answer might sound kind of lame, but it's kind of, it's very true. Here's the thing I'll say is it kind of starts with, it starts with kindness. And I get, as I mentioned, I get hundreds of pitches every single month. And I think a lot of times people either don't respond to it. Like when, when a host gets an inbound, they, they either don't respond to it or they respond super negatively, or sometimes they can be mean, whatever it is. I often just try to be kind to every single one of those responses that come in. Like, Hey, thank you so much for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. Like, um, but right now um, I don't think this guest is a fit for us. Um, You know, definitely circle back. If you have other clients, you're always interested in pitches and things like that. And because of that, surprisingly, it, it, this may sound weird, but people actually want to deal with you then. You get what I'm saying? Like, like if yeah. you come off as a jerk, they're like, oh, I don't want to deal with that guy. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because I will tell you, I, I, I got in a, an argument with an airline last night 
and uh, I was trying to get a flight handled and I wasn't that guy. Right. I was a jerk last night. So they made me sit, they made me wait online for on hold for an hour just to find out that the lady got one over on me and put me on the line with somebody that speaks Spanish. And I don't speak Spanish. Um, so when you're kind, things turn up a lot better for you. I was not kind last night. It happens. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But like, I think that's kind of the first step to really building relationships and you know, showing somebody you can be counted on because number one, you have to think about the viewpoint they have. They want their clients to be handled well, taken care of and have a great, great experience. They yep. actually don't care that much about numbers. A lot of people put significance in numbers um, and we have good numbers. I just don't talk about them. I talk about the purpose. I talk about who we're talking to. I talk about the conversations we're having, but if you can really, you know, approach that from a kind viewpoint, and realize like, what is their concern? Because I think one of the, the most important skills somebody can learn is how to take the viewpoint of another and take a look at that and see things from that viewpoint. And when you can, you're gonna kind of see where they're coming from a little bit better. Um, so to me, that's been one of the best ways I've been able to handle it is frankly, a lot of the first pitches I get in handling those well. So even when they're not a fit, they say, you know what, he was a nice guy. I think he would like blah, blah, blah guest. And I've been able to get a lot of opportunities that way. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, I get, <clears throat> I get pitches all the time, uh, for guests as well. And, um, you know, sometimes it just seems that the, the person who's, who's pitching isn't hearing, you know, if I say it's not a good fit, why it's not a good fit. And for the most part, just, you know, for example, when I first started my podcast, I was, I was inviting a lot of thought leaders, um, onto the, um, onto the show. A lot of people who talked about leadership, wrote about leadership, but I started to move more and more towards guests that are in leadership positions that are walking the talk, uh, walking the yeah. walk and not just talking the talk, so to speak, and doing it on a daily basis, or at least are in touch like yourself, at least are in touch with leaders on a regular basis in that kind of way. And so when I get pitches for, you know, more coach consultant types as wonderful as they are, and I'm sure their books are fantastic, or whatever it is, for the most part, I will decline because it's not the demographic that I, that I want to hear. And ultimately don't, I don't believe serves my audience best. And of course, when I have a great conversation with somebody, it serves the audience in the very best way possible. So there's that selfish element, yeah. but I'm really working towards serving my audience in a broader sense. That, that said, I do try, I'm not saying that I'm always successful, but I do try to say, thank you, but, or really yeah. appreciate it if you could. And, and they say, they'll keep it in mind and who knows, you know, and every once in a while I get, I get lucky with, uh, with someone like yourself who hops on, uh, my, my show, because somebody from the outside saw what I was up to, saw the podcast, mm -hmm. thought it would be a good fit and wanted to put you out there to even more people. And here we are, which is, I think really, really neat. Um, and so I, I do want to transition now to something else, which I know I just add one more thing to that, too, because that's important as well. Like, by all means, there is ahead. there is also the other side of that as well, because I'm sure you've had this happen as, as, as much as I've had this happen is, is you mentioned, like you try to say no, but and kind of let them know, like, what is a good fit? Now, there's been a few times I've gotten pitches where I send them that. Right. And I try to be nice. And they come back with the exact same thing that was in their first pitch, almost like I didn't communicate to them. So you also, if you're somebody that's trying to get on shows, you have to be in communication with somebody, not keep throwing the same thing to them to get what you want because you're not going to get anything. Yep, I, I totally agree with that. And so let's actually transition here into something. Um, I guess it's, I guess it's related in a sense because it does. It sort of talks about positioning and whatnot. And and yeah. if you're if you want to be the go-to, so for example. 
you know, as, as a coach, as a leader, as a coach, I, I, I operate in a relatively, you know, as, as um, Russell Brunson might say, I operate in a red ocean, right? A lot yeah. of other people who are, who are in the coaching space, how does Hoff distinguish himself from everybody else? And most coaches deal with that. And that's separate from the whole issue of how do I get people to recognize the value of coaching? So there are multiple levels, multiple hoops, so to speak, that someone like myself needs to jump through in order to be able to land the kind of ideal client that, you know, that they want to be working with that will help them, you know, achieve their financial goals, their business goals, et cetera. So what are some of your secrets, Jeremy, to help people distinguish themselves, to help people see, oh, that's the go-to for this. This is the one I really want to be thinking about or connecting with for that. Any, any thoughts there? So there's there's a couple of different things. Um, one is a book I read a number of years ago, um, and actually somebody I've I've been lucky enough to work with. Um, it's called Brand Intervention by David Breyer. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, he was on my podcast. About, oh, David's the man. He talks about the idea of differentiation for, versus identification. Right? You have to differentiate versus from people in your space because if you don't, you're just promoting your space. And that's a really, really important thing to be thinking about. So you have to think about number one, how am I different? You know, I'm not just another different, another different flavor of vanilla, right? Like this isn't vanilla bean, you know, whatever it may be. So Mm -hmm. how are you different and vastly different from those in your space? Because you have to promote your differentiators. That's the first thing. Okay. Before you continue, before you continue. So what is, what would be an example of that? So let's use me. I'm I'm already out there in in the question. Um, How do I, as a coach, Think of myself, or you as a podcaster, maybe think of yourself mm-hmm. as different. Maybe I want to be humble to some degree, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Uh, at the same time, maybe I kind of struggle because at the end of the day, I work with leaders. I try to help them set goals. I try to be more productive. So does this guy. So does that woman. So does that whatever. So what really am I looking for to make that distinction? So we'd have to work this out a little bit more. So I'm I'm gonna give you my best shot here, and then you know you can kind of see how this <laughs> I know gets you, I know going. I put you on the spot, but it's just for the no 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 of because this is a process that could take a couple hours if you kind of really work on it. But like so, here's sure. an example: a lot of people in your space call themselves a coach. So the thing you could take a look at is what is unique and different about what you do. Well, you just said there you're concentrating on leadership. You're concentrating on a few of these things. So maybe you're like you're not a coach. You're the leadership disruptor, like something like that, like. What is different about what you do and how you can talk about it rather than using the exact same terms that everybody does? Like, hey, mm-hmm. I work with people that want to become disruptors in the world of leadership. And I, like I said, I don't know if that's the right term. We'd have to hammer this out a little bit more. But you want to really focus on not using the same old terminology everybody else is using. Kind of create your own vernacular and hammer that. Yeah. Because I it's called different. it productivity, productivity accelerator. But yeah, there you go. Same kind, I was the thinking idea. the word accelerator and I didn't use it. So there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just across <laughs> across New Jersey, we're sort of tele- telepathy, telepathy. Exactly. But, so what but was point number two? Man. Yeah. So then point ahead. number two is once you've got that established, you need to get out there, number one, and talk about it. Like that's really important. Like you need to be doing stages, doing podcasts, whatever it may be. But you also have to have your own content people come back to. And I frankly think having your own podcast is the best way to do this because number one, people that are, you know, disrupting their space, that have important things that that are, you know, important, they have something to say. They have an opinion. They're not vanilla. And I think that's something a lot of people mess up on is they don't really get their own opinions. They kind of grab whatever is hot or interesting, or they just kind of say the same old version of everything everybody else is saying, you know, be you. And then that's really important. So when having a podcast, people can come back to that. 
And it also allows you to take advantage of branding positioning, because I think an interview show is the best way to do things because you're now being seen with other people that are important in your space or similar spaces. So you're taking advantage of positioning, being seen for something or against something. And when people recognize, so, so people that may not be familiar with the term positioning, um, there's a really great book by um, uh, Al Rees and Jack Trout. It's written, I think, in the 70s. It's called Positioning, The Battle for Your Mind. And the simplicity of positioning is you're grabbing something people are already familiar with and already holds a space in their mind. And you're trying to show how you're either the same as that or different than that. So now when they think of you, they think of that thing. So when you're interviewing people in your space that already have credibility or in similar spaces that already have credibility, you're grabbing some positioning every single time you do that. So you're increasing your credibility. So that's why I think really having a podcast is a great way to do this, as well as writing for industry publications and things like that. That's what building brand looks like in today's world. It looks like differentiating. It looks like hammering that thing. And it looks like, you know, getting your content out there to grab a positioning in somebody's mind that people already have. Great. Okay, so I have one, I have one more question in this general area before we yeah. move into something slightly different. Uh, oftentimes people will lump two terms together. And I know you were focusing on one, what I would consider to be almost a synonym of the two terms that I'm about to mention. One is marketing and one is branding. Um, you often think of them as like, you know, two different ways that people can kind of be known to the world. What do you see as the distinction between the two? And in your perspective, which one is more important? So it's interesting because I thought you're going to say PR and marketing because a lot of people confuse those and those are very different. Um, but well, you know, I actually you're looking had at that. It- I actually had that in my questioning originally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can take it either way. No, no, I'm going to take it the branding angle because when you, when you look at it this way, like Niftali, like the thing I think is really important is a brand is the look and feel, the way you're perceived, the way you're seen, the imagery. And you have to have brand for marketing to be effective, right? Because you have to be able to be recognized. Marketing is the action of promoting, right? It's the action of getting it out there. But in order to promote successfully, you need to have a brand or be a brand. So that means, you know, when we talk about the brand, we always use this language, right? There's uh, in, in the corporate world, they'll use like a, a brand standard manual, right? Like our brand is this font. Our brands are this color. Our brands use this language. Our brands are taken image. So it has to be something cohesive. And it's actually going to make your marketing more successful because you're communicating with a message that is consistent and you're, you're going to be consistent over time. So people are going to start to recognize that brand. And because of that, you're going to see your marketing be more powerful. Marketing you know, branding is an action. You're definitely creating something people understand, but marketing is the out forth motion of promoting that, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. Yeah. I see like, it's like the two steps in a, in a sequence that ultimately yeah. push people to awareness and also hopefully to take action. So let's yeah. talk about taking action because you are command, command your, your brand grew by 71% in a down economy, which I found to be a fascinating statistic. So how do you do that? And how can others apply the same principles? Because at the end of the day, it's all about growth. Certainly, we've got to beat the direction of inflation here. We have yeah. a lot of things working against us right now. So, so tell us, Jeremy. Well, good, good luck on beating inflation there, man. It's getting a little crazy. Um, but uh, what are we up? Were we up with over 8% in the month of March. Is that what it was? I like heard double digits. Or something like that? I heard double digits. So pretty crazy stuff. Anyway, um, the, the, thing, the thing I would say is when... I'm really looking at when COVID started, right? In in March of 2020. So what we did is we've always been a virtual business. Like 
we've we had a you know some co-working spaces that we paid for for our, our people to go to and everything else but we've always been a virtual business so when i looked at it i'm like well right now this isn't going to hurt us it may eventually right but right now it's not hurting us because we can still do business because we're online so people were you know losing their jobs different things are happening so we went on a hiring spree and that's what we did is we said okay so the best people are now available let's go get them so that was the thing we took a look at and the other thing we did is we focused on better processes within our company um, because i think a lot of times people are you know not really looking at having a good process they're not having good hiring and things like that so we took a look at every single process in our company and we made sure you know if it's abc you know why is d here we tried to make sure that everything was in a right angle a right way to be more efficient to be more productive whatever it may be and then we took a look at our training materials to get there so when you're looking at a training material you have to realize people have different modalities in the way they learn and you know being somebody with a with a teaching background you'll appreciate this right absolutely some people learn in written form other people learn in video form and i'll tell you what if you're a virtual company you're gonna have an easier time teaching people with screen recording video so when we look at our, our job descriptions we write, how does that person have to be, right? Like, are they happy? They're attentive, whatever they may be. What are the things they have to do? Every single thing they have to do on their daily basis written out so that they can just reference it. Um, and what is every single step in their day? Like, so we have these extreme written out, like what a job is. So when we hire somebody, they come in and they say, I just got to train on that and I can be super productive. Yes. And I think that's the difference. A lot of times people will hire somebody and they're like, great, you're the salesperson now. And they're like, okay. You know, like, what does a salesperson do? I don't know. Go sell some stuff. So you have to really look at this is what's worked. This is exactly how it's worked. These are the exact words you use. These are the exact yeah, emails you so send. Important. And so we really focused on training, frankly. Those were the big things we focused on hiring and training. And everything else in our company worked itself out because we were able to grow more because we had the right people doing the right things, not wasting money, not wasting time, not wasting production. Love it. I'm actually listening or, or listening again to Gino Wickman's traction. And in the EOS model, there's a lot of what you just described, getting the right people, right people on the bus, Jim Collins, but giving mm -hmm. them the tools to be successful, know exactly what success looks like and making sure they're in the right place, the right seat, so to speak, to do that. Yeah. Uh, a lot more we could unpack there, but I'm going to end this segment by asking you my final question for the first segment that I ask everybody, you know, you're knocking it out of the park. You're talking to really great people. Um, the, the natural inclination might be Jeremy's got something different. He's just wired better or different than, than, than me. I'm sort of average. Uh, I can't relate to him, but at the same time, if we hear about failures, if we hear about missteps, then not only do we humanize our guests, but we also ultimately make them more relatable and someone I can learn from. Yeah. So Jeremy, tell us one that you've learned from that's really set you on the course where you are today. So the original version um, of what we do now, I had a different co-founder um, and that company was called uh, Get Featured Media. We did very well, did multiple six figures in our first nine months in business, but my co-founder and I had different thoughts for what we wanted for the business and that's fine, you know, but the problem that I ran into is I wasn't really willing to give up the thing, right? Because now this, this was paying my bills, it was doing everything I needed it to do. Like I wasn't really willing to give it up. And what happened then is it made the situation a lot worse. And when we actually figured it out, the company we're doing now is doing 10 times the revenue of what we were doing before, but I wasn't willing to give that thing up. And I was kind of willing to go down with the ship. And because of that, I would have never had the opportunity I have now. So to me, really the big lesson 
is learning how to give up good for great. I think it's another Jim Collins book there. You got to be willing to give up something that's good for something that's greater and realize that like, if you really hold something and strangle something, it's not going to make it better. It really isn't. And, and that was tough, man, because there was a period for three months. I had no income. I kept the staff from that first company. I had to figure out how to pay them. They had no idea what was going on in the background because they never missed a paycheck. But dude, let me tell you, it is hard, but you got to be willing to give up good for great. And, and I think sometimes that's something we just strangle sometimes. Yeah. And, and for good reason, because you don't even know what that great could be. Potentially, you might have a vision yeah. in your mind, but you don't even know that it's a guarantee. And especially people I'm thinking now about the individuals who have held uh, jobs for their entire life and want to go out on their own. They want to sort of put their special um, gift and talent out to the world in a different capacity. And they're used to the security and the steadiness of a job and a paycheck. And what do I do if I want to sort of take a risk on, take a bet on myself, especially if I've got a family with kids, I've got bills to pay, all sorts of things. There's, there's a risk involved in that. And it's not a simple thing. And I, can't, I know we can't solve it in just a couple of moments, but that is something that I think a lot of people struggle with at the same time. I always say to myself, and I tell this to my clients too, right? Do you want to look back 10, 20, 30 years from now and have that big what if hanging over your head? And so yeah. how do you figure that out? Again, every person's situation is different, but don't dismiss it out of hand just because you can't stomach the idea that there would be risk involved. If you know, deep down, you could make this work. It's just a matter of how, and of course, you know, to be continued, so to speak on that one. Uh, but in the meantime, Jeremy, I'd love to transition to the rapid fire where we kind of go a little bit more fun and a little bit more rapid in our responses. Yeah. And the first one is your favorite podcast other than your own. And of course, mine. Oh, of course yours. Uh, hardcore <laughs> history, man. Uh, I'm a huge, so my master's in ancient history. So hardcore history with Dan Carlin. Oh, that is so interesting because I taught history and that's actually my first master's degree was, is with a specialty in secondary ed social studies. So how about that? There you go, man. I have my master's I, from Seton Hall. Really? Okay, cool. If I gave you a billboard alongside the world's busiest highway, what would you write on it? I, to me, it, it sounds cliche, but I think it's what it comes down to. It's, you know, be the change in the world that you're willing to, that you're willing to see. Because I think so many times we complain about what we want other people to do when you got to realize, like, if it's, if, if you're doing the right things and other people are also doing the right things, that makes a difference. So, you know, if you want change, it's got to start with you. Yeah. Just own it. Okay. The next one, your favorite season of the year. That's tough. I'd have to say winter though. I love skiing. Um, I'm a big, big ski bum. So I'd say skiing for winter. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Most people would go summer, maybe even spring, but nice. I like it. Okay. And the last I'm one. not a beach person, man. So skiing, definitely. <laughs> for sure. A productivity tip that helps you, Jeremy, to get more done. Block scheduling. Um, you know, like from this time to this time, I'm going to be working on writing from this time to this time, I'm working on emails from this time to this time, I'm handling phone calls. Because what happens is you can actually start something, change it and stop it rather than like, all right, I'm doing 50 things and why can't I get anything done? So it's being able to like Huge. do one thing while I'm doing it. I love it. I talk about it. It's in my, it's in my blueprint. It's all over the place. So excellent. Okay, Jeremy. So tell everyone listening, Lead to Succeed Nation and everybody who's just curious about you and your content and, and is listening to our conversation, how they can connect with you, find out more about your work and maybe work with you. So uh, we're actually over at commandyourbrand.com. I'm at Jeremy Ryan Slate on all platforms. Um, and as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, I have a book coming out on June 21st called Unremarkable to Extraordinary about 
you know, all the incredible lessons I've learned, like a lot of what we talked about today. Um, so if people want to get that, it's over at getextraordinarybook.com. And if they head over there, we're actually giving them a free version of the audiobook and our blueprint to 30 Days of Extraordinary if they order through there. So that's getextraordinarybook.com. Awesome. Okay. So despite the fact that you've given us all, uh, so much so far, I know I, I asked you before we started recording that uh, you kind of keep one nugget in your back pocket for the end of our conversation. Leave us, please, Jeremy, with one final life lesson. The thing I would say is be happy with where you are at the moment, but always be hungry with the future. And what I mean by that is I think so many times we think about, oh, if I could just get to blah. Remember, the moment you're in now, there's something to learn from that and there's something to gain from that. I failed a lot of things, but I use a skill from every single one of those things I've failed at. So be looking to the future, but also be willing to work in the present you're in now. I, I sort of feel like you've, you kind of sandwiched that wisdom at the beginning when you talked about high, high performers and at the end. So, so that's really, really neat. Uh, I often talk in my own conversations about how I thought when I got my doctorate, when I finished writing my book, when I X, Y, Z, whatever that is, then I'd be happy, fulfilled, et cetera. You got to enjoy the journey, yep. not just the destination, because oftentimes the destination, you're like there and like, now what? But if you're constantly exactly. hungry, if you always have more things to, to aspire to, um, I think that that's really, really special. Anyway, Jeremy, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to speak with you, to get to know another New Jerseyan better. Um, and uh, I certainly hope that we will have opportunity to deepen our relationship moving forward. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. And, and, and uh, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. All the best now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 